You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we're going to continue a journey that we've had for a couple of episodes of late. We are going to talk about leadership development programs. It's a hot topic, uh, certainly in HR circles, or if I correct myself, I would say the talent uh, development, talent management circles which uh, over the last couple of years have done uh, their own segregation away from HR as we once knew it. And, uh, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious about that. I think it's an important distinction and definitely a, a thrust that companies are embracing. And the interest in looking at leadership development has been growing. It, the growth had started before the pandemic and now with all the challenges in business uh, spawned by the pandemic, we're seeing a lot more inquiries. Coaches like myself and my guests, we are getting a lot more inquiries about helping with designing and implementing and executing leadership development programs. So uh, my guest today is one such person who has done a lot of work in that area. Her name is Laurieanne Duguay. Laurieanne, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and she is calling us from Canada. So, and remind me which part of the country you're in there? Uh, the northern part of Ontario. Northern Ontario. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. already turning cold there, I believe. Yes, yes. We did have our first snowstorm last week, actually, but thank God none of it stuck. It's all gone now. But oh, yeah, good. absolutely good, good, good. All is officially here. Well, as is somewhat the custom on this show now, tell us a little bit about your background before we lean into the topic of the day. Sounds good. I actually, uh, for 21 years, I worked in government in a variety of roles, ranging from, you know, some, some consultant type roles to uh, some HR strategist type roles. And I really enjoyed my tenure with government. However, what it did do is teach me how not to necessarily manage your people. We work within so many layers of of, of, of authority and, and hierarchy and regulations and rules, which unfortunately are at the mercy of the political party in power at the time. So every four years, it's like a complete overhaul. Uh, but I would say at 21 years, you actually start to see some very specific cycles repeat themselves. <laughs> and yeah. that being said, I, I later on in my career decided that I would not be retiring from government. So I started doing, once I completed my postgrad in HR management, labor relations, started doing some consulting on the side uh, and eventually kind of carved out my exit, uh, tried it out for a year. It turns out there's a huge demand for this kind of stuff for, for talent development strategy, as well as leadership development uh, programs. So that being said, I made that a permanent fixture about a year ago this December. So it's been two full years now. Well, not to... Not to beat up on our government employee workers, they're they're definitely important and necessary for the things we all come to account uh, rely on. But I'm guessing the managers you ran into in those structures weren't necessarily the sharpest knives in the drawer. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. I've, I've had some really fantastic managers, but. 
I would say they're the most muted knives in the drawer, if that's a thing. Okay. They live within that mindset of don't rock the boat, don't innovate, don't try new things because, you know, you may upset the powers that be. Uh, There's also a bit of posturing. Well, I'd say a lot of posturing happening in terms of maybe providing growth opportunities to their employees and their team members for fear of their own position being at risk somewhere down the line, whether that's a, a, you know, a fear rooted in actual truth, not at all the case, but so, yeah, there were some interesting characters who often may have been promoted due to tenure and not necessarily to capabilities, which is the unfortunate part because then they, you know, kind of just proliferate an existing um, toxicity within their team department. And well, and, and to your earlier point, I'm guessing some of the more capable ones might have rotated out on those power shifts that happened, and either yeah. either they were invited out because they were recognized as powerful and influential and weren't on the, that team. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say one of the most memorable wasn't my direct manager, but he was actually pretty high up there. And he came in through from the public, uh, sorry, the private sector. And he only lasted with us for two years because he's. He, he, I remember his parting speech included something to the effect of, I've come to understand how government works. You guys add so many layers of approval that you assure there'll never be any actual progress or change. <laughs> and I was like, huh. And he's like, unfortunately, I cannot operate within that realm and that that mindset. So I'm exiting back to private sector where I can really affect and impact uh, much more change than I can within this government kind of structure. Well, I joke a bit about my career. I left the military by choice to to go into the private sector, but I chose to take a job at a bank. And I originally had said, I don't want to be in a highly structured, highly regulated environment. And I go to, silly me, I go to work for a bank that has the <laughs> biggest uh, oversight by multiple agencies. And we weren't encumbered by that approval layering per se, but there were definitely, if you got really creative in an idea of how to serve a market, you had a big challenge in getting that signed off on and approved by the government regulators that had oversight. And um, we, we were generally successful, but it was a long, painful process to get there. And one would argue if you put on a purely entrepreneurial mindset, it was like, no, I've done my homework. This can work. There are no risks or risks are minimal, yada, yada. And, you know, let's go. And, you know, you, you can miss several quarters in a market of waiting for something to get approved and still may get it done, but the market might've already moved by then. So. Yeah. That trend has passed. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You haven't been able to capitalize on it. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's get back to our topic of the day, leadership development. So how do you typically define that? Let's just kind of start at the top of the mountain and work our way down. 
Absolutely. So leadership development, I, I find that there's been a shift that's been occurring and you mentioned it in your intro. It, it was already kind of well uh, well underway, but it was obviously amplified by the pandemic in that people started to really re-examine what their workplace brought to them on a daily basis and started to balance, you know, and, and strive for that work-life balance amidst other, you know, hybrid working arrangements and whatnot. They started to realize that the old way of doing things doesn't work anymore. Now add to that, you know, where it was already starting, started story is those younger generations generally uh, the style of leadership that resonates with them is not the style of leadership that may have resonated with our baby boomers of the world, right? So they, the, this command and control, uh, I trust you to do, do the job I hired you to do is not necessarily that style that resonates. We're really pivoting towards that coach and empower. That being said, unfortunately, the more traditional conventional leadership development programs don't necessarily, you know, they don't hang their hat around those types of skills, those softer skills. Um, personally, I really believe in a combination of training. So you get the modules where they're actually, you know, developing and, and starting to really understand the importance and the value of, from a, of, of, of pivoting to that style of a leadership, but also the value of really starting to wrap your mind around why would you want to coach and empower as opposed to command and, and you know, tell, give answer though, right? So I, I really think that once, you know, combining all three, sorry, I'm totally going to backtrack. You can edit this out. Um, I really believe that in order for a leadership development program to be highly, highly effective, it's not just the training component. You, they need to train but then also receive the coaching required to be able to really hone that skill. And we need to make sure that we're connecting them to a broader community because the one thing we hear loud and clear, uh, you know, in these circles of leadership is that it's quite lonely being a leader because you're that conduit often, you know, between your direct reports or and or uh governing body, be it a board of directors or your C-suite folk, you're kind of that in between. So that being said, it's important to be able to connect them. And so that they can continue to kind of collectively troubleshoot. I think one of the biggest challenges when you start thinking about developing leaders in your company, the, the very first challenge is just defining what the heck leadership is. And I, I had somebody one time say, leadership is no different than pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> um. And, you know, it, uh, that's a little bit of a stretch, but I know I've had my own experience with companies who have said, we want to embark on a mission to really change our culture. We believe our old traditional culture is not going to serve us over the next two generations. We need to change our culture. And it starts at the top of the house with leadership. So we're going to define a leadership framework that we want to aspire to. So great, no problem. So they paint this picture and write this list. And the immediate first challenge is at level two down, level three down, L2, L3, L4, people have a debate on what those words mean. Yeah. So the training and development is not just to present the brand new framework, but to really get into the heart of what are we saying when we say these words? What, what are we really striving for? 
And that's a heavy lift. It is a heavy lift. Um, I, I, def I, I describe what you're talking about as defining your leadership blueprint before it's like any, any build, any design before you actually start to put things together, you need to understand what's that ultimate vision. What's that? Who do I want to be remembered as a leader? What do I want to be remembered for doing right for my, my team members, for my company, for my organization. So I think it's, that's definitely one of the, those first steps, but I agree. It's no uh, easy feat. Certainly no easy feat. Yeah. I do a thing with my um, executives where I ask them to envision a, a Venn diagram of three circles. And I challenge them with, if one circle represents the leader you want to be, just put yourself in a box or look in the mirror and nothing else matters. What's What kind of leader do you want to be? That's one circle. The second circle is the leader the company is telling you to be. And the third circle is the leader your people are asking you to be. Mm -hmm. And then the big question is, how do those circles align? What are the relationships between the three circles? And boy, I tell you, that is a conversation starter like nothing else. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. It's really, I, I like that technique actually. And it, it kind of mirrors a similar when I do map out, help them map out their blueprint. Uh, I, I actually have them align it with the developing their own vision, mission, and values as a leader. And then thinking about the vision, mission, and values of your organization and how do they align? Where, where do they intersect? And do they intersect? Because that in and of itself is a whole other conversation, exactly. right? Completely different. Yeah, no, exactly. But I like that you add the layer of your people. What are you hearing from your people? Which would be really, it would work really well for those, you know, highly seasoned leaders who already are in place. But my sweet spot personally is with emerging leaders. So where they may not have had people yet. So maybe I would reframe that part in, in that event with uh, with something relevant to, you know, what kind of leaders do you think the people actually want? What are some yeah. of the yeah. leadership qualities? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, let's let's get into a little more about your approach as as you begin working with clients uh, using your models. What what are some of the first steps, and what's the nature of the discussion you get into with them? Um, I take the train coach connect approach. So basically, I think it's really important for it to be you know multi leveled, but that it be a longer term um, development. If we're talking about identifying those kind of high potentials, those those that succession to leadership, uh, and then I work with the client initially if they don't have anybody in mind already, or they they usually have some people in mind, but right, to develop right. that profile, right? Let, let's define what what is a what is a high not a high performing a high potential leader because we know that not all high performing employees necessarily are the high potential. That high potential is that, in my opinion, smart, hungry, and humble. Those three things really define a great leader, right? And that successor to those, those leadership roles within your organization. That being said, we develop the system to identify those smart, hungry, and humble. And then once we enlist them, we get them first trained in a lot of self-awareness, right? Self-awareness relevant to your own preferences, needs, and tendencies. But then let's elaborate on helping you understand how there's different styles within any given team and, and how, what are the needs, preferences, and tendencies of those specific styles. And then I build based on, I use the, um, 
everything disc personally, huge fan of it. I think it, it really enables us to not only dial into the, in, you know, their personal preferences, but also to help really solidify and crystallize their understanding of the different styles that are likely going to show up on their team at one point or another throughout their career as a leader. And, and then we, we really kind of start to dive into people centric skills and, and training revolving around understanding your own style, your own preferences, strategic communications, managing conflict and how it's important to actually encourage conflict within your team. And what are the, what are the kind of the foundations of a high performing team and how do you build trust and how do you actually build and maintain credibility, <laughs> which is key, right? When it comes to leadership, uh, what does that look like? Then we talk about, you know, team building, employee engagement, all those, those non-conventional leadership development type conversations that need to be had. Uh, webinar led, so there's lots of interaction. They're learning from others' best practices and also, you know, kind of preempting some some prospective leadership challenges by helping you being informed of what happened and what not to do and then how did they actually manage that challenge. Um, and, and so you're starting to build this sense of community early on that will actually become within an organization, become their network, their support system longer term. There's, I have a workbook that helps them continue the self-reflection and I have them right away. Say we go through a module. I have 12 modules. Say we're going through a module right after the module. I want them applying it. I don't want them just to listen to me for two hours and then not think about it again and do nothing with what they've just, I right away want them to identify some, you know, opportunities within their organization to start applying it. So I've got these mini challenges that when we regroup at the following module, we're able to debrief about it again in the spirit of starting to build that, that those connections but really start to build their toolkit up of the different things that they want to make sure that they have in their back pocket in the event that they encounter these types of leadership challenges down the road. So go through all the modules. And then that coaching piece, as I alluded to earlier, is really key. Understanding that, you know, once you've taken these trainings, too many leadership uh, development programs fall short when they have these trainings, be that, you know, virtual in person, there's all this wonderful stuff happening, and then they stop. There's nothing more. They're sent, you know, to manage their teams, but there's no follow-up. There's no follow-through. Uh, so we connect them with a professional coach like yourself, for example, that could then help them establish some growth goals. Now that you've got all this self-awareness, you're, you know, you, you really started to map out your blueprint. You understand what is needed to show up as a more people, human-centered leader, knowing that, okay, where do you measure up? Where are the gaps? And let's set some growth goals and then actually an action plan. And then that coach becomes their accountability uh, partner as well for a period of six months so that they can continue to hone whatever um, challenges or gaps they've identified within themselves and, and continue to really grow and evolve as a leader. And the last part being the connect piece, which, uh, as I mentioned, super lonely being a leader. Uh, so it's important to be able to connect with your internal support system, but also it's really helpful to connect with external people from other industries because we tend to troubleshoot whatever challenge we're, we're, we're contending with from the lens and angle of our organization or our industry. So even if we're kind of bouncing ideas off of our internal leader colleagues, we're no further ahead because it's still being seen through the lens of that and the scope of that industry, right? So we have we host uh, monthly masterminds where you get a dedicated period of time to in in smaller pods to be able to okay, here's what I'm contending with. I got this one employee that 
you know, he repeatedly doesn't show up on Mondays and he, there's, it, it's such a common issue with others, but then I just don't know what to do anymore because he's doing it in a way that, you know, it, he's protected by the collective agreement or whatever. And I just, I'm at my wits end because it's really putting everyone else off in the team. So then everybody starts to provide, you know, advice on how they've experienced that and what they've done instead it's really, really powerful where I've had leaders say, you know, I've been contending with this issue for over nine months. It took a 10 minute mastermind to come out with 12 solutions. Like, I feel like I have a plan now. So, so that's my connect. So that's generally my approach to leadership development, understanding that it's not a one and done. Once you've done the training, you need to really start to practice it regularly, as well as have that, that third party that that professional coach who can continue to help and and help you really step into your full leadership potential and then you need to ensure that you're connected with the community that'll be able to yeah. help you in the longer term i think you know one thing that's so important to understand is when we do start talking about leadership development leadership is a journey it's not a destination you once you embark and agree that there's opportunity to improve leadership skills and leadership effectiveness more importantly it becomes a journey and i i was i was on a client call right before this this episode and uh, we were talking about that and he said you know, I doubt seriously that I'll ever get it all done. And I said, I happen to agree with you. I said, because here's the thing. You might set out a near-term goal to improve some part of your leadership toolkit. And you work real hard. You get a coach. You develop these things. And sure enough, you rise to that next level. And I don't mean by promotion, but just by effectiveness and impact. Yeah, but guess what? If you really have achieved that level, you will, in one way or another, get recognized for it. And what happens then? You get called on to take on new responsibility, yeah. promoted. And as soon as you land in that new job, you have a whole new horizon, a whole new set of problems, whole new set of challenges. And immediately you're confronted with the probability that something in your leadership toolkit is not sufficient for what you need to do in that new job. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you're back on the journey again. You're, you're back in the, in the workshop or the coaching session, you know, getting some more help. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and I mean, if you marry that theory with the fact that Things change, trends change. The demogra the, the the demographics of the workforce is ch it, they change. There's different, you know. There's there's going to be emerging trends that you're going to have to open your toolkit. Realize, oh my God, I'm missing that tool, and I'm going to have to go and speak to a coach and and really start to develop it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, I'll tell you what, Lorian, I need to take a quick commercial break and pay some bills. And then uh, we're <laughs> going to dig a little deeper into this whole idea of effective leadership development. Hang with us, folks. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com.
All right, everyone, we're back. And today we are talking about leadership development as a general theme. My guest is Laurieanne DeGay. And um, Laurieanne, I've got one question for you. We're, we're talking about changes in the workplace post-pandemic and everything. What are, what are some of the key things you're hearing from leaders that are now on the top of their list of concerns for the challenges they're dealing with uh, post-pandemic? I think one of the the top ones that I'm hearing uh, from our leaders is that they're finding it challenging to support and engage in a hybrid work model. So the, the, to, to how much is too much checking in? How much is too little? How much do, you know, does it actually translate as micromanagement? Where does the trust building happen? How does that even transpire uh, without my coming off as, you know, looking like I'm trying to either micromanage or check in on them all the time? Um, how do I make sure that they feel connected with their uh, colleagues, but that it be authentic, that it not feel like, you know, oh, we get this pre-scheduled coffee chat at 10 a.m. every Friday morning, everybody has to join, and then there's this complete awkwardness, right? Um, how do you mix it up? What's that perfect kind of formula for that hybrid workplace, and what does that look like? Um, I think that's the kind of things that are keeping them up at night. The other things that are keeping them up, unfortunately, they're not new things. You know, it's some of the stuff they're hearing the eternal recruitment, uh, it's its happening everywhere with our job seekers market. One in four of their employees are looking for work elsewhere, right? So how could they actually uh, attract and keep the talent they need uh, to thrive as an organization? So that's the kind of things that I am hearing from leadership. Yeah, when we talk about recruiting while we were on the break, we talked about this idea of catfishing a candidate. And I'm, I'm going to let you... <laughs> describe what that looks like. I find that so many organizations don't spend enough time. They spend so much and invest so much time and effort and resources in really nurturing and building those external facing relationships with their clients, but they fail to recognize that their most valuable asset is their internal client and they forget about that client. So they forget to put themselves in the shoes of that client and to they'll do that kind of user business process re-engineering and optimization from the client perspective, they fail to do it for the individual perspective from your client, your internal client, right? That, that employee yeah. perspective. So if, if it's somewhere you wanted to go, we could. I think that's good. I, I've actually had a couple of discussions along that line recently, and we're, we were talking mainly in terms of companies work so hard to define a brand and and communicate a brand value to the marketplace but then they don't do anything to help their employees become trained coached and equipped to deliver on that brand absolutely so the brand vision is dead on arrival yeah absolutely um, so one of, one of the analogies i've actually used in the past is if if this brand you start to promote your brand during the interview, right? You're trying to get them excited about working for you during that. But are you actually like to use the dating world term, catfishing them when yeah. they show up, right? When they yeah. show up, uh, I've got a keynote where I actually walk people through a bit of a vision. Imagine you're applying for your favorite company. You've always, the, that was that bucket list company that if you could get the dream job, it would be with that company. And during the interview, you're that much more excited and and they show a video of, you know, some of the projects they're working on and you're, oh my God, I need to be a part of that. And you're completely 
instantly invested and they offer you the job on the spot because they know if they wait 24 hours, you might get poached by their competition. So they offer you the job on the spot, tell you to show up on the Monday morning. And then on Monday morning, you show up at reception. And when you get to reception, you ask, you, you identify yourself and you say you're here for your first day of work. Receptionist has no clue who you are, no clue where you're supposed to work. She says, wait a minute, let me get someone. Goes to another person. Well, it takes four people for them to finally decide whereabouts your cubicle is. So they bring you to the cubicle. And once you get there, there's a computer, keyboard, a mouse, and a landline phone. That's it. With a little note on the computer screen saying, please complete this by the end of the day or don't bother coming in tomorrow. And you turn around and, and you turn around and there's an Ikea box. And we all know how people feel when they see the name Ikea, right? They're, they're, they have no clue. There's no picture in the box. They have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. So just, and then I, I stop and I say, okay, talk to me about some of the questions and the observations that are coming up for you, right? And it's that notion of catfishing your employees. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're great at fine tuning that pitch, that elevator pitch, but are you actually delivering on it? Yeah. Yeah, is that that's the challenge part? And that's the part that you really, really need to make sure that you're providing the follow through end to end. That's a huge challenge. And, and I'm, I'm reminded in the first half of the show, you also mentioned work-life balance is, um, is a hot topic. I've actually changed my vocabulary on that now. I have come to start talking about work-life harmony or work-life blend more so than balance. Because what I've heard so much of balance seems to, and maybe this is taking it too literally, but it seems to indicate you got to give up something to have something, you know, so you're plussing and minusing all the time. And that's just not what we're doing. We're, we're now focused from a mental and psychological standpoint, we're focused on a wholeness of showing up to work as the person we really are and the person we really are includes family, friends, outside interests, et cetera, et cetera. And it does become a harmonization effort as opposed to a trade-off of any kind. Mm -hmm. And I think to your earlier point, old style command and control managers, they just kind of go, <laughs> when you start talking about that, they they just Absolutely. cannot relate to those issues. Absolutely. And when you think about those old style managers who love like the work more like 60 hours, fit 60 hours of work into 40 hours, you know, the pandemic was wonderful for them. There was no more transition time between meetings. No more it was boundaries. back to back. It's a click, click onto the next call. But you know, they have to start to recognize the impact that's had on their team members. And I think there needs to also be like, like anything, there were extremes, right? It's like a pendulum, it went to one extreme. Now, it, you know, it's went back to the other extreme. And I think we need to find that kind of sweet spot in the middle, where, again, there's got to be a point I, I find that it's no longer acceptable to take a professional meeting in a t-shirt, uh, right? Okay, the pandemics, we're, we're, we're starting to get back to a new level of normal, but I think organizations need to have conversations about what are our new shared commitments in this new work environment, in this new world of work. What are some of the shared commitments that we're going to establish and rules that we're not, I don't like rules. I, I prefer shared commitments. We're adults. We don't need to be subjected to rules per se. Uh, but what are some of the things that we, we're going to uphold moving forward for all of our professional kind of interactions, be it in meetings, uh, Zoom calls, in person, you know, what what's our, our go-to? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's a good time to have a very candid and open talk with all your employees Absolutely. about the combination of expectations and obligations. And that's mm -hmm. a two-way street. In, in the most basic of terms, every employee is certainly entitled to their expectation of what they're going to get out of the work. Mm -hmm. But with that, there ought to be some level of their sense of obligation to get there. Absolutely. But Absolutely. You, flip, you flip the table and the employer needs to be clear about those same things, expectations and obligations. You know, I need you to perform at this level and to get you there, I'm going to provide you this environment, these tools, these resources, yeah. this budget, whatever. Yeah. And it, it is that. And I love how you, I love how you say it's it's an opportunity. And I've had so many uh, leaders and organizations reach out and say, <laughs> "Okay, Lori, you know what 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 do I tell my people? What's the what what's the etiquette for this hybrid uh, workplace?" And I said, "Well, why don't you talk to your people? <laughs> why don't you guys actually set up? You know, take advantage of this opportunity to have a conversation with them and ask them how you can show up for them. But on the flip side of that, how they're going to establish how they're going to show up for you. And it's you know, it's really a reciprocal relationship. So you need to make sure you're having these conversations. And what better time than now, right?" Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've been on record for some time now saying that in a few years, when all the business schools start cranking out their case studies about success or failure during the pandemic, I firmly believe the number one contributing factor to success or fail is going to be about communication. Oh. <laughs> the way leaders communicated to their people and their teams during the pandemic. Yep. And, and the way they created an environment of effective and meaningful communication so that you you get the connection, you get the trust, you get the accountability, you get the sharing. And, okay, you're however many miles away electronically talking to each other. It really shouldn't have that big an impact on how effective your team can be. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, I'm also very curious to see that those studies start to come out because I, I agree, communication is going to be paramount. <laughs> it's going to be one of the, 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 the deciding factors on whether or not, you know, leaders succeeded or failed during the pandemic. And to be specific, I love what you said when, when leaders lament and say, I don't know how to do this with my team talk to them, <laughs> have either, either a collective team gathering and re-study or, or maybe for the first time, write a team charter and a team contract. I, I love that mindset. Uh, uh, Lencioni's coaching on that yeah. topic. And, but more importantly, have the one-on-ones with your people and, and confirm you know, how much opportunity do you want to report into me what you're doing? You know, yeah. how much is enough? How much is too little? And you'll, you'll land on those that need a lot of the extra oversight, want, want the input and the others that are fine. Just give me the mission, leave me alone. I'll go work. And, yeah. and you'll figure that out. 
Absolutely. And, and, and through those conversations, you can establish the, on the flip side of that to address any looming fear of, of, of any of the leaders who are listening today, uh, that, you know, here is where if, if you're one of those folks that wants to give me the mission and off I go, uh, here's where we'll come to an understanding that I will, you know, increase my level of management or in the event that I see a decrease in production or a decrease in performance, um, exactly. you know, so, so that you're establishing kind of these, these milestones that if they occur, then, you know, this, this whole relationship needs to be revisited and, and the approach will change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like all that. Well, as, as we come kind of close to the close here, any final thoughts on what, what leaders themselves can do to maybe self-create a leadership development program, if there's such a thing? I think, I think they, they can go back to, when you think about what are the top complaints of any employee satisfaction, employee engagement kind of survey, right? The top three always boil down to feeling like, you know, the they, there's no communication from leadership. So as a first step, if you can just really work on becoming a more effective communicator uh, and, and developing the systems and and fuel and, and the frameworks required to facilitate that 360 flow of communication from, you know, bottom up so they can provide feedback to you uh, top down as well as peer to peer. That would be huge on the, the notion of feedback, making sure that you're creating a culture that encourages and embraces the value of feedback and that take it off your own shoulders. I find too many leaders are busy thinking that they have to provide it all, but if they would take the time to coach and empower their employees, then they could actually transfer the burden of responsibility for managing these types of conversations back to the employees. So you're providing them with the tools and resources they need to then take ownership of those conversations and, and to provide feedback to, to one another, because it doesn't have to all be on you. It shouldn't be on you, right? So certainly communication. Second complaint that we get that they don't they don't understand their role. They don't understand. There's lack of clarity. That being that being said, I think as a leader, if you could again hone in on your your communication effectiveness, but also make sure that you're meeting their employees where they're at and you're helping them really understand yeah. their role, your expectations, but you're also asking them what are their expectations from you. How can you show up for them, right? And really taking a time to map out your employees and to understand that no two employees will be motivated by the same thing. So really take the time to really study the different styles within your team and to map that out and then adjust and adapt your approach accordingly. Because that is the, 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 when you're given a leadership role, you're given that responsibility to take on uh, and meeting them to adapt your messaging, to adapt your approach, to help them step into their full potential. That's essentially how I define leadership is really helping people first recognize the potential that, that they have and then building them up and providing them with the tools, the resources, the training to step into that full potential. Because often people fail to even recognize, you know, they, they see an, an ounce of potential where you as a leader should be able to see at least, you know, Elite. Oh, I can't use leader, I guess, if it's ounces and liters, but anyways, no, you're okay. more. <laughs> you're <laughs> you know okay. where I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, so that's the second one. The third complaint that we hear loud and clear is, is just lack of transparency and, and accountability. So if that's the case, uh, certainly as a leader, uh, if you're starting to develop your own leadership program, uh, 
take the time to really understand what level of information that your teams need from you and, and make sure that you develop the systems that you you provide it to them in a consistent, regular way um, to, to avoid all the pitfalls of conflict, the toxicity, the accusations of favoritism, you know, just give them information. That's all they want. Keep them in the know. So that's my I'm point. reminded of a of an experience I had working with one of the large oil companies and I was talking with a team that had just recently been reorganized as as a part of a major changeover of things and um the team leader actually said to the group he said hey guys there's one reality we haven't embraced yet we all are guilty at one part of our recent career of pointing fingers up and saying those guys, as in those guys are making all the decisions and we don't necessarily agree with them. He said, guess what? We are they. <laughs> yeah, we are. We, we're now those guys to everybody in the organization beneath us. And we need to change our, our lens and change our vocabulary a little bit. Yeah, and absolutely. and realize that whatever we used to think about those guys, we are now them. So how are we going to be different? <laughs> how are we going to be different? And what are we yeah. going to do differently? So I thought that was a pretty good development moment just in, in a short 30 seconds there. Absolutely. That would be. <laughs> really laid down the gauntlet. And, and you could see it. I mean, the body language in the room just sort of exploded. Everybody went, oh, you know. Spot on. Yeah. You're right, boss. Mm -hmm. Well, Laurie, thank you so much for being part of this show. Uh, tell everybody how they can best get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Well, thanks for having me. And I am on LinkedIn. Uh, they can also visit. They can just, you know, search me up on LinkedIn and connect that way. They can check it out or check out our website um, at thepeopleperson.ca. And in the website, they can actually join the Thrive Hive where we share on a regular basis some tips and tricks uh, to continuously improve your workplace culture and to move your folks from being tenants of the workplace, so where they're just occupying space but not doing much else, or as they're now referring to quiet quitters, I guess, is the new term for that, uh, and, and to get them away from that kind of space to get them to thrive. That's great. Well, thanks again, Lori, for being part of this. It was great and chatting with you. I do want to remind everybody, if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. You can hop over there. Please subscribe to that channel. Uh, leave us a comment. Leave us uh, a like, a thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm a big boy. It doesn't matter. I just appreciate the honest feedback. Give us some ideas of topics and episodes you'd like to see in the future. And if you yourself are interested in being a guest, I've got a link over on my website that'll get you um, a contact form to let me know what you're interested in talking about and maybe refer a friend as well. I'm always looking for folks that can share expertise and wisdom as Lori has done today. So for now, we're going to sign this off, say goodbye, and uh, hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.